Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Making an addition to the family in more ways than one. That's right, it's episode 278 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and the reason I say that is, and you know me, I don't talk about a whole lot of personal stuff, my personal life on the show, but this week I'm going to because my wife and I are expecting our second child this week, and it could be happening any minute now. It could have already happened as of you listening to this show. Shows go out on Friday. This is being recorded a little bit earlier, so, you know, keep watching for updates on on a new baby to the down and nerdy family that's going to be coming this week. So, you know, it could be an interesting show. Could be a little bit of a shorter show this week, not going to lie to you. Got to be a little busy this week, clearly, but that doesn't mean I'm not too busy to talk about family. That's right, Lego Batman Family Matters is out, and I'll take you inside the press room. We'll talk to the creative team, some of the voice cast members about their experiences, and hey, Red Hood in a Lego Batman movie for the first time? Oh yeah, I'm definitely all over that. Plus, how about a spoiler-free review of the first episode of Carnival Row before the big premiere a couple of weeks from now on Labor Day weekend? But you know how it all starts. Yeah, still had time to read some comics. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I am writer David Rodriguez, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Pulling out the long box or firing up the tablet or the laptop, whatever you prefer, whatever you're reading on. It's time for what we're reading, and this is a book that went, what, to like a third printing before it even hits shelves at all, so clearly highly anticipated once in future number one from Boom Studios in Kieran Gillen writing this one, Dan Mora on the art, Tamara Bonvillain on the colors, and Ed Dukeshire on the letter. So that creative team alone should tell you that this is something that's going to be pretty good. And if you look at the synopsis, it's basically there's an ancient artifact that gets discovered and there is a group that is after said artifact. And there's a reason for this. And I'm not going to really spoil what it is, but I will talk a little bit about the inner workings of this book because I don't like to spoil these books before you read them. Now, Basically, you have a grandmother. We call her Gran because that's what her grandson calls her. And her name is Bridget. Now, she used to be somewhat very different when she was younger. There, She had a much different occupation that involved something much more magical and much more mystical. Now, she busts out of the retirement home when she hears some very upsetting news about something that's gone missing. And her grandson, Duncan kind of gets pulled into the whole thing. Now, yes, you know that there's going to be magic involved here. There's going to be some, as they say in the synopsis, mysticism, and there is a legendary threat. That also from the synopsis. Now, what this really ends up being is an interesting twist on the King Arthur story. And once in future, you know, that's how do you, how do you interpret that? That's one of the ways you can interpret it. And and again, it's like, oh, well, you've heard part of the story, but maybe not the entire story. And then when you find out who this group is and why they're doing what they're doing with this artifact, you go, oh, so are they going to do what I think they're going to do? And what? how does Arthur play into all this? And does he play into all this? And is Arthur different from 
the way we think he is. Maybe. So that's all part of this book. And you're going to love Gran because she's quirky and she, you know, you could tell that she was a badass in her day, but, you know, she's a little older. And that's one of the reasons that Duncan's here. And he's very much a fish out of water. He's not completely ignorant to, to things, but he's he's definitely a fish out of water. But he's a quick study. And you can tell he'll do anything for his grand. I mean, this is the person that that raised him. So that, you know, right there, there's going to be a strong bond no matter what. I mean, he's still a bit of a goof, though. And his grand is tough as nails. So that dynamic is, is really interesting as they sort of start on this quest. Even though it's said in modern times, though. So I use the term quest very loosely. But there are elements there from a year gone by. Let's just put it that way. I mean, Gran just knows she's too old and she needs help. One thing that you should know, by the way, if you see Dan Mora's name on a book, you see that name on the front cover, just buy the thing. I mean, his art's always so amazing. I've run out of things to say about Dan Mora's art because it's so good. But when you see this beast for the first time in this book as you're reading it, your mind's going to be blown away. I mean, it's just the creature just looks so great. The, the rest of the book looks good, too. Don't get me wrong. But this creature, man, just jumps. I mean, I almost started running. I really did, Dan. So thanks for that. Appreciate it. This book was so enjoyable, and it hasn't even really gotten started yet. This first issue barely scratches the surface of what Once and Future is going to be in a larger story. Put this in your pull box now so you don't miss any of the rest of these issues. Because, this again, this is just the start of something that I think is going to be really, really neat. Now, something that you might have seen in Teen Titans Giant 1 and 2, it's Titans Burning Rage number 1 from DC Comics. Dan Jurgens doing the writing there. Scott Easton on the pencils. Wayne Fauscher on the inks. Now, Jim Charlampiois is doing the colors. Hopefully I said that right. Probably didn't. And Tom Napolitano doing the letters there. Now, if you look at the description of this book, on DC on the DC comic website or a few other places. I mean, there's a couple of characters that they mentioned on there that I don't see in here. I'm sorry. So, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I read something completely different and screwed up. So let's talk about what I read. And it seems like the Titans are just trying to stop a simple star labs robbery. It starts out in, innocently enough. They end up encountering a villain named the disruptor. Now this villain's very interesting because this, villain has the power to do something that suits his name very very well and and you the, the actual the reach of this power is very very interesting so one of the interesting things about the story actually so what he's trying to take could actually make him even more powerful or anyone who gets their hands on it it's one of these things where you read it and go why is star labs working on this and you, you've probably thought that a time or two when you've read a dc comics like why would this why would this even exist from Star Labs, because the risk of it falling into the wrong hands is just not worth it. But I digress. The story sort of follows the team in this battle for this particular powerful item and against a very familiar group to Titans fans. This is not a group that you will not recognize when you see the name. You go, of course they're involved. Now, we also get plenty of moments with just the team being the team, you know, getting food and Gar being Gar and Raven being Raven in response to Gar and stuff like that. So if you're a Teen Titans fan, you're going to enjoy the banter from the team as well. And, you know, just it, it almost reminds you kind of like of OG Titans 
a little bit the animated series if if you loved that there's a there's certainly a little bit of a vibe of that here not a ton i'm not saying this is og titans in car in comics form what i'm saying is is that you get a little bit of that vibe and there are plenty of fun moments and the overall goal of this book is pretty simple. I mean, from the villain's perspective and what the heroes need to do to stop the villains, it's it's pretty obvious what's going on. There's no, you know, huge, deep-plotted story going on here. You're not looking for Easter eggs or little subtleties. It's pretty obvious what's going on. And the art's pretty darn good, too. I mean, I really love the old-school look of Starfire and Raven, but but the way that it's... It's got an updated feel to it as well. I really, really enjoy it with some really nice, clean inks there and, and almost like a uh, an updated feel to a classic look. That's exactly how it feels. And really, this is one of those books that, whether you read it in Titans Giant 1, 1 and 2 or not, don't overthink what you're reading, and you'll actually enjoy this. It's a seven-part series that's going to be coming out from DC Comics as this sort of a reprint. I say pick this up. I, I'm, I I hesitate to say put it in your pull box because maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've already read it. So pick it up. Give it a shot. Give this first issue a shot, if nothing else. I think you'll have fun with it. It's got some great art. There's some fun stories. There's some, you know, it's almost like reading an old school comic again. And, and that's one of the reasons that I really dug it. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. How about a spoiler-free review of Carnival Row Episode 1? Not out for a couple weeks, but I'll talk about it next. On the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Mark Paul Gossler from The Passage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to head to the Berg, but I'm not going to give you any spoilers here. It's a spoiler-free review of Episode 1 of Carnival Row from Prime Video. Yeah, it's not coming out until August the 30th. Got a little bit of an early look, though, so I'm going to try and explain what's going on here in this first episode without any spoilers. Just kind of give you an idea of what to expect. Now, you've seen Cara Delevingne's character, Vignette Stoneboss. You've seen Philo from Orlando Bloom. So you know, basically, that they have a relationship, and it's a very, very complicated one. Now, one thing that this episode will do right in the beginning is it will explain what's going on, set the tone for you, exactly how we've gotten to where we've gotten to this point, and what's going on in Turninock, which is the place where the fairies have come from and that are trying to, the fae are trying to escape from, as a matter of fact, in this first episode. And basically, I don't think this is really any of any spoiler here because this is kind of a synopsis of what's happening. The land of the fairies was a myth until man discovered it and decided to go to war over it. That's basically where we're, where we're at here. And Vignette was very much a part of that. And Philo was very much a part of that. You know that they're a part of of a war you know that they had a love affair and we get to kind of they don't waste a whole lot of time in telling us what happened between the two of them but we don't get a ton of details in this first episode so you know what occurred and you know why he's well you don't really know why he's still alive but he is still alive and that's all that really kind of matters here and we find out how vignette ends up where she ends up, and that's in the Berg. That's where all of the, the, the Fays have ended up, and the Critches and all of these other things that, that are basically taking refuge in the Berg from the place that they used to call home. And how do you think that's working out? Not great, because the, the there's fighting, the humans aren't really accepting. Some of them are, some of them aren't. 
there's a huge war and there's politics going on over these refugees and you know the fact that there's a lot of real world stuff in this too about how you know the the, the taking of jobs and and people aren't feeling safe and thinking that there's an increased crime and there's a, there's an unseedy element to these refugees based on certain businesses that they run. And that's as much as I'm going to give you on that. There is a chancellor here, though, that is a part of this parliament. And the chancellor is going to play a role in this. I will, I will tell you that more so his family might cause a little bit of trouble in this because this is a guy that kind of holds a slim majority. And the chancellor is a guy that is kind of on the side of, hey, these these creatures need to be here and we kind of need to find a way to live with them. So he is kind of on their side, but he's holding such a slim majority that one slip up and things could certainly go the other way. And then Vignette is, man, she goes through a lot. Cara Delevingne is so fantastic in this first episode. She is going through a ton, not just the fact that the man of that she loved, she thought he died, which again, that's part of the trailer. That's not a spoiler. So she's going through that. She's also going through something at the very beginning of this episode and how she ends up getting to the Berg in the first place is a very tragic story. So she has to deal with so much and has already dealt with so much that where she is at in her head, I can't imagine how she's even holding it together, but she is. And then, of course, she has to work for a family. She has to pay off her debt. This is very true to life. By the way, it's almost an indentured servitude type of situation. And actually, the uh, character of Imogen Spurnrose was brought up when I was at the press conference at San Diego Comic-Con. So it's basically you have your class system and the Spurnrose family are part of that upper class. And uh, you don't necessarily hate the character of Imogen. Maybe you will, um, but she will definitely annoy the hell out of you. In a, in a certain way. And it's just seeing the way the other half lives and how they treat everyone else that's not them. The class system is very, very much in place and very, very much a part of this first episode of Carnival Row and will definitely be a theme throughout the season, that's for sure. Now, we also get to see what Philo does, and Philo is basically a champion for those who don't have any police help. He investigates assaults on the Fae and on the Critch and on other creatures, right? That is his job. And do you think people love him for it? No, they do not. A lot of people, especially his fellow officers, kind of hate him. But there's also a respect level there for him as well, which is really, really interesting. And his personal life is very, very complicated. So, and again, I can't really give anything away. There is a big investigation that leads to something major and there's a big revelation, especially by the end of the episode, you will find something out that is going to set the tone and be a a very, very big part of what's going to be happening throughout this season. So what you're going to have is you're going to have multiple themes and storylines that are going to be running throughout this first season of Carnival Row. But here's the good thing is that all of them are interesting on their own. So you know how when you're watching a show, and you, you're interested in a particular storyline and they cut away from an, to another story. And you're like, oh, I don't care about this. I want to go back to this. I want to see what's going on here. You've got so many interesting stories 
on their own. I mean, several just in this first episode that pop up right now. They're going to they're going to be working together towards a common theme, though. They will they they do converge in a certain way, but separately they can hang on their own is what I'm trying to tell you. And man, this is difficult to do without spoiling it. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you that right now. I would love to spoil this for you. I'd actually love to go past the first episode and tell you what's going on. But since it's so early in the game here, I want to really stick to this first episode to tell you what's going on. You're going to get a great performance from Cara Delevingne just in this first episode alone, though. I could tell you that much. The The actual creatures themselves, the, the effects that they're using are fantastic. There's certainly no expense spared in Carnival Row. And it's it's beautiful. But it's also dark and just, it's sad in a way, just how dark and dingy some of this world really is and how the Berg really is. It's like the place where you, would, you wouldn't want to move there unless you absolutely had to. But then you get to the rich part of town and it's a little bit different. It's almost like in a way in the Hunger Games when you got to see the different territories of the Hunger Games and that and how a certain half lived and how the other half lived, like when you got to the capital, right, in the Hunger Games, and you go, man, so that's how the rich people live, and look at everybody else down here. Ready Player One, you could, you could make an argument for that as well. There's certainly plenty of examples of this, but in Carnival Row, it is a marked difference, both in tone and color as well. So it's not just the class system. It is a vi- It visually affects you, as well as emotionally affects you. And we do get to see the row in all of its glory, by the way. And there's some very interesting stuff that happens there. So there's a ton of intrigue in Carnival Row. It's visually beautiful just in the first episode alone. But the tragedies that take place just in this first episode, not just for specific characters, but for a set of characters as a whole... And especially with these creatures and these fae just trying to find a little piece of happiness now that they cannot, now that their world basically is just not there anymore. Their their way of life is gone now. So they have to make their way as best as they can in this place that they've decided to call home with people that don't really want them there for the most part. But there are those the do and will fight for them. So there's a lot of themes going on here and a lot of reasons that you should absolutely be watching Carnival Row on August the 30th, Amazon Prime Video. I highly recommend this. And I will be back to do a spoiler-filled review of the entire season and give you interviews from the press conference at San Diego Comic-Con 2019 on a future podcast. This is not something you're going to want to miss out on because we are going to, we've already talked about Carnival Row a ton on the show. I know I, I certainly have. So there's going to be a ton more. I can promise you that. That's going to do it for my spoiler free review of the first episode of Carnival Row from Amazon Prime Video. Up next, we'll get to a little bit of nerd news on the Down and Nerdy podcast. This is writer Peter David, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Starting things out, once again, on a little bit of a personal note, it's time for nerd news. And I think, but I'm biased, I'm super biased, that the biggest nerd news item of the week is that, yes, you heard me talk about it at the beginning of the show, baby number two is here. We have another member of the Down and Nerdy podcast family. 
literally, little baby boy Acer was born this week. And if you're a big fan of the show, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you remember that when my first son was born, Jameson, we just kind of talked to my wife a little bit and checked in with her. You've heard her on the show before. So I thought that, you know, we can't just let traditions just go by the wayside here. So if you remember my wife, Pam, let's talk to her for a second. First of all, honey, how are you feeling? I want to sleep all the time. (laughs) You want to sleep all the time, which is good because the little guy really likes to sleep so far. We're jinxing that thing really hard. Say things like that. That's that's so wrong on so many levels. Don't do that. Well, he's a very happy little boy, happy, healthy, and, and you're a warrior, by the way. Oh, well, thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> so I know what the name means, but somebody might not know what the name means. So we did, why, why did we decide to go with Acer? Do you remember? Do, do you want the whole story? We, uh, this is not that long of a show. I don't think they want the whole story because it's, it's kind of scary. Um, well, first we were thinking Abraham. Um, and then we decided as, as a couple that we didn't want our son's name to mean father of many. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. Yeah, and end up on the Maury Povich show, you know, with, you know, you are the father kind of DNA test. So then began the long hunt for a name that would have the initials A-A-W because that was something I was hung up on. Um, so after all of the vetoes from you, um, we uh, fixated on Acer and it's Norse. It means of the gods. We're already working on the Thor cosplay, by the way. If anybody's wondering, that's happening. <laughs> You're working on the Thor cosplay. <laughs> so this means we, we're not going to be able to cut his hair. Well, wait, I mean, it does. Well, hold up. Now, if his hair does not look right long, then we got to cut it. So you want to go with Ragnarok Thor? Well, I, I mean, I, I want our kid to look good. I don't want him to, you know. As long as we go, don't go with Avengers Endgame Thor, I think we're good. I haven't seen that yet. She hasn't seen it. Seriously, she hasn't seen it yet. But the Blu-ray is sitting right over there, so we'll watch it. I haven't seen it yet, but that's okay. We'll see it soon. Maternity leave. <laughs> so I know that I know that everybody's probably really happy that he's happy, healthy. When well, we need more happy, healthy heroes in the world and that you're doing awesome. So since you're here, and there's been a couple of items that have popped up lately that might be of interest to you to be able to talk about. So I'll ask you this to bring it back to the show a little bit. Are you more excited for this upcoming season of Outlander, or are you more excited for the Hunger Games prequel book that's going to be coming out? Oh, see, that's tough. Um, So I haven't read past what this previous season of Outlander was, so I don't know what's going to happen, which is great in some aspects. He just sneezed. For anybody who heard that, little Acer just sneezed. (laughs) But when you're talking about the Hunger Games and... It was, what, like 30 years before the game started? I think it was something like that. You know where the best place you can find out about that? Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. <laughs> so I don't know how things could have started out so bad 30 years prior to when Katniss was an adult. Although she was, what, like 18 or something when she went into the game. So that makes sense. But... um I feel like there's more of an avenue for them to go supremely wrong with the Hunger Games than they are with Outlander. So I, so on that being scared as to what they're going to do, I'm going to go with Outlander. Yay! Outlander is going to be my pick. Fair enough. Well, we've put you to work enough. Go relax. We're going to have fun with this little baby. 
and I'm sure you'll you'll definitely hear him on a, on an edition of the podcast, maybe you know, crying or whining or fussing like that. But hey, hashtag dad life. <laughs> He's super chill. He's a super chill boy. Love you, babe. Love you too. Acer, do you have anything to say for yourself? No. Okay. Well, we've got we've got plenty of time to get you on the show. There's more nerd news items coming up too. As a matter of fact, Deadline's reporting that you and McGregor. Might actually be back as Obi-Wan Kenobi after all, but not in a feature movie. As a matter of fact, they're saying that he's in talks to star in a new Disney Plus series instead of a movie. Now, a lot of this is being kept under wraps, but we don't know what the details are. Of course, I don't think he's going to be playing a too much younger version of Obi-Wan Kenobi in a Disney Plus series because, you know, Ewan McGregor is 48, so he's not an old guy, but he's certainly... Not old enough to play an older Obi-Wan Kenobi. And there, you, there's no real saying where the timeline would be or anything like that. But I will say this. Since we really don't have any de- hard details about what this is about, I think that this is a tremendous, is tremendously the right call. Because, you know, Ewan McGregor was one of the most positive things about the Star Wars prequels in the first place. And doing something with Obi-Wan is a good idea. But a movie, I thought to myself, eh, you know, Solo was fun. And it it wasn't it wasn't great, but it was it was certainly fun. It certainly had its place, and I, I didn't hate it as much as others did. And I actually didn't hate it at all. I just, and, but I didn't think it was fantastic either. But to do this as a series, I think is a really good idea because it really gets to you really get more story that way. I think. And I'm not saying that TV is better than movies. Let's not go there yet or anything like that. But at the same time. You're going to get more story here. You get to flesh out more characters. You get to find out maybe more about a character like Obi-Wan than you would have otherwise. So I actually think that this is the right call. You know that Disney Plus is going to have that huge budget anyway. And we've got The Mandalorian coming. So maybe this would follow up The Mandalorian. I'm not sure exactly, again, what the order of that is either. And you know Disney, and they're not going to give you anything, any information until they're ready. Although we do have... D23 coming up. Maybe we will get more details on that. But this is confirmed by Deadline that he's at least in talk. So, again, not set in stone that he will be playing Obi-Wan, but it looks like that's going to be happening one way or the other. Here's something that's not going to be happening, though, and that's Neil Blomkamp is not going to be directing that RoboCop reboot anymore. As a matter of fact, he took to Twitter saying, hey, it's a scheduling thing, and he's off RoboCop, and now they're going to be looking for a new director. But you know what? At this point, why? Why do this at all? I mean, RoboCop returns. That's what they're going to be calling it. RoboCop should not return. They've already tried the RoboCop thing once before. It didn't work out. I mean, call it call it for whatever reason you want. Whether, you know, maybe the cat you think the casting was wrong or the script was terrible, whatever. They already tried it once and it didn't work out. RoboCop is one of those niche things that worked at the time. Because it was, it, it just, right now, it just doesn't feel like this is something that needs to be done. It's, it doesn't fit the mold in 2019, 2020, whatever you, whatever year that this would come out, even 2022, you got to think this wouldn't be coming out anytime soon, right? So it just doesn't fit right now. Why do this? Why force this in? Why force, and again, yet yeah, another reboot, another, you know, years later sequel, whatever you want to call this. Why force something like this in? This is another one of those examples where Hollywood, you think that this is a good idea and you think, oh, RoboCop, people know RoboCop. Well, maybe they know RoboCop, but they're just tired of it and they don't want to see it again. You know, maybe it's just that. Maybe there are things that just don't need to be revisited. And even with Neil Blomkamp, I was a little chilly on this. And now that 
he's not going to be involved. Yeah, I'm out, guys. I don't I don't think that this is a good idea at all. I just do not think that we need another RoboCop movie. Here's something we're definitely not getting. And this was another one of those... I tried to warn you. This is a be careful what you wish for type of situation. And that is Disney. And this was buried in a story by Variety, by the way, that was talking about the larger scope of the Disney deal with with Fox purchasing 20th Century Fox. And that is now the Lumberjanes movie that was being planned from Boom Studios and 20th Century Fox is now off the schedule. Not happening. It's been dropped by Disney. This is the second time now that this has happened. Remember, we were supposed to get a Mouse Guard movie. And then Disney was like, mm, nah, no, nah, not going to do that. We're going to go ahead and pass. That's not happening. And then we saw how cool... It could have been, right? We got to see all that concept art. We got to see the video of what some of the sets might have looked like and some screen tests and stuff like that. And that absolutely positively doesn't mean the movie would have been fantastic, okay? But but from what I saw, it looked like it was going to be pretty darn interesting. And it could have been really, really cool. And now we're not getting it. Here's another instance where, and again, this is completely 100% my own opinion. Disney's taking something from Boom Studios and saying, Here's a young adult thing that we didn't do. This wasn't some, some idea that we came up with. This isn't something that we did. So, eh, maybe this isn't such a good idea. When the Lumberjanes actually has a really, really big fan base, I think there were a lot of people, young adults and adults, and kids alike, that really wanted to see this movie in live action. And this really could have worked, okay? Again, I'm not saying it would have been fantastic. We don't know what the casting would have been like. We don't know what the script would have been like. Nothing like that. But the basis of the story, as it is, it's it's just one of those stories that I felt like, you know, we could have used right now on the screen. And now that's not happening. Maybe, just maybe, this is one of those instances where Disney's saying, you know what, let's not do this as a movie. Let's maybe think about this as a Disney Plus series. Maybe, maybe that's where we're going with this because this is just an initial report of the movie not happening. But one way or another, this is a be careful what you wish for because, you know, it was it was all excitement, right? When we're like, oh, this deal's going to happen and we're finally going to get the Fantastic Four in the MCU and we're going to get the X-Men and you never thought about what we might not be getting. Now we're not getting Mouse Guard. Now we're not getting Lumberjanes. And I, you might think, well, it's worth it. You know, it's the, the, who cares about those two things? Okay, that's fine. But what happens when it's the project that you wanted that was in development that you're not going to get now? So now instead, we're going to be getting those reboots of Home Alone and Night at the Museum. Did you want that? Is that what you wanted them to purchase 20th Century Fox for? Because I doubt that's what you wanted it for. Maybe Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Maybe I'm okay with that one. But do we really need all these other reboots of these known properties and they're going to ditch anything that would have been an original idea? Because that's what they're doing so far. That might not be what they continue to do, but that's what they're doing so far. Now, I get it too that, you know what? These 20th Century Fox movies, not exactly performing, but look what you put out. You put out, what, Stuber? You had Dark Phoenix, which it seemed like a lot of fans didn't really care about in the early going anyway, and that was kind of doomed from the beginning. But you know what? I I, I just don't know. I just got a bad feeling about this. I'm not sure that... uh, I'm, I'm not saying that the deal shouldn't have happened at all, even though I kind of am, because I, I was kind of soft on the deal to begin with. I do want to see the X-Men, the MCU. I do want to see the Fantastic Four. I want to see a lot of these things. But at the expense of what? That's the only thing I'm really worried about here, guys. That 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 to me is a... The red flags are starting to come out, and I'm not sure we're going to get what we need out of this. 
That's going to do for nerd news. Up next, how about talking about a little bit of family? We'll talk about Lego DC Batman Family Matters. Talk to the cast and the creative team next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Aaron Pierre from Krypton on Sci-Fi, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This week, since it was the week of the birth of my second child, I thought, why not talk about family a little bit? Lego Batman Family Matters coming out on Blu-ray and DVD from DC Entertainment and Warner Brothers Home Entertainment as well on August the 20th, out right now on digital. So got a chance to sit down with the creators and the cast at San Diego Comic-Con this year, starting with director Matt Peters. And the first question for him was, you know, talk about this being the first time Red Hood is in a Lego movie. We've done Red Hood before for other movies, but like for Lego, this was like our pioneering uh, chance to play with that character, which was a great opportunity because, um, you know, there's a lot of history with that character. Uh, both Rick and I are big Batman fans, so it was a lot of fun to be able to exploit that and just be able to, but also bring it to the Lego world because, you know, Lego has kind of got its own unique style from the other DC movies that we do so it, it's almost like a brand new introduction for that character my question for director matt peters was was there a sense of how can you put a red hood in a lego movie when you're bringing the red hood into this world was there a sense of how do we do a red hood story in a lego movie or do you say well if they could put a trostatus in a lego movie then red hood should be okay it was really kind of like uh once we decided that red hood would be in it it's a story almost really kind of developed around that you know and uh, we saw a lot of opportunities. Like I said, the character's got a lot of history. There's a lot of dynamic to play there. You're talking about, you know, um, who he is, you know, and his history. So it's like that's a Batman, you know, uh, legacy that we get to exploit, you know, for a story. So right away, it's just like we start rubbing our hands together, getting really excited because we're going to be able to have a lot of fun with that. Next up, someone asked Matt, does family matter to Batman in this movie? That is essentially the core that right there is the core of the movie that we're going for. It, it's kind of an analysis of Batman because he really is the head of the Batman family and there's a responsibility that goes with that. And how would Batman the crime fighter, you know, deal with that? Is he okay with it? Is he comfortable with it? Is it something that, you know, he would like to relinquish? Is it something that he's going to double down on and take the responsibility on? And um, that's kind of a story for a hero as well. So we that is our movie, essentially, is focusing on that. Not just Red Hood that's in this, by the way. Batwoman's in it as well, so somebody asked Matt to talk about that a little bit. This is also the first time we got to get Batwoman in yeah. Lego form, too. So, um, and that was really a fun thing. We, we were excited to be able to um, bring her character in and, and uh, you know, just try to have her as in, in, the, in the family as much as we could. Um, you know, uh, she's a relatively new character, too. So, you know, there's like a chance, the, the, the history that we have is, is not as deep for uh, Batwoman as it is for the remainder of the family and stuff. But, um, but still, it's, it's great to be able to do that. We have Tara Strong doing the voice of her. It's like really outstanding performance and um, kind of a great thing to see her kind of take a, a, a different take on, you know, from Harley Quinn, which is what she's known for, than do a, a hero like Batwoman. My final question for Matt Peters, director of Lego Batman Family Matters, was do you ever see a Lego set and then say, hey, i got to get this in my movie? Do you ever, when you're going to create the design process for a movie like this, do you ever see a set just out and about and go, we should really try and work that into the movie? Itself? Oh, it's amazing, actually. That, that is something that's happened a lot. They, they've actually been nice enough to give us sets before for actual reference. And then, uh, just like you said, it's like it's not just me. The, the the entire crew that works on it end up becoming really big Lego fans. 
And um, our prop designer, I remember explaining to us, he's like, as soon as you get that knowledge of the different Lego bricks, it, it's in your head, you start looking at the world as Lego. And <laughs> it's like you walk around and you're just envisioning, how would I build this room out of Lego? How would I build that car out of Lego? And it's we never stop. And then the more you build, the more you learn. And so that universe just becomes more rich. Next up, it was producer Rick Morales that sat down with us. And the first question for him was, could you actually build the things that you see in the movie on your own? You can pretty much take anything that's in this movie and build it straight up from Lego bricks that you could, it would cost you thousands and thousands of dollars. But <laughs> so I wouldn't recommend it. But, but, but most everything in here is really buildable. And like we've even developed... <clears throat> like a library, um, our designers, uh, of, of, you know, CGI bricks that are legitimate in scale. And so most of the time our, our designers are, they're, they're basically sitting there and they're, and they're building Legos. <laughs> That's their job. Now we know there's a live action Batwoman series and a Shazam movie that came out. So the question was, was that why they ended up in this movie? I mean, I think that was just sort of like, she's part of the Bat family of characters now. And it's like when we started to do a, you know, a, a, the, the idea became that we're going to do a Bat family thing. Like it, it just made sense. And she'd never been done and she's a cool character and she looks awesome. And like, what would she look like in Lego? Like, it you know it just became a fun thing. As for, as for Shazam, I mean, uh, obviously we we had an idea that there was a, a feature that was in the works and all that, but it's not like we necessarily tried to align that with you know with that. And so I mean I think you'll see in this in this film like how how all that works out. And um, the, I think the thing about this one is is it it uh, it sort of plants seeds for future stuff in a way that. I don't think any of our other films have necessarily done. So, My question for producer Rick Morales was, is there another character that might be the next big thing coming up in one of these Lego movies? That kind of leads into my next question. Of, as we've been doing these Lego movies, we've now gotten an Aquaman. We've gotten a DC Superhero Girls. Is there another character that might be the next great branch out character for a Lego movie like this? Yes. I mean, the DC library of characters is huge, right? I mean, any, any one of them could be. Um, I mean, there's stuff in the works, but I can't say I can't say anything. I would love to do Lego Blue Beetle. That would be awesome, and, and Booster Gold. Like that would be really fun. Anytime Troy Baker plays Batman, we are definitely interested. So he plays Batman in this movie, of course. And the first question for him was, does Batman embrace the Bat Bat Family right away in this movie, or does it come on gradually? Every story that we've been able to do with Lego has to do with something about challenging Batman in a way he's never been challenged before and him finding a way to overcome that obstacle. It's the Joseph Campbell hero's story, right? But this time, it is past, present, future that are kind of tag-teaming him. Um, because you have Nightwing, so you've got the original Robin, who has his experiences being Robin and now breaking away from that, which is a horribly dark storyline. Um, you have um, Jason Todd, which of course is coming back, you have Red Robin, you have um, now Damian Wayne. So it's it's like, we see how much of an important facet Robin is to Batman. But then you still have Batman that's trying to struggle with being a superhero and a dad at the same time. Because I've got, I've got a 14 month old son and it's so hard, we're gonna get real deep, it, <laughs> it's so hard letting go of the 
image or the, the picture that I have of who I want my son to be and just let him be the person that he already is. And it's all based out of fear because I just don't, in the same way that Batman, I just don't want to make the same mistakes with you. Um, and if that means I can protect you from that, I want my son to make mistakes. I just don't want him to make my mistakes. You know what I mean? If he makes my mistakes, then I messed up. If he makes his mistakes, awesome. Because we're both going to learn something. So my job is to get out of his way. If my son falls down right now, which he does a lot, he's walking like crazy, now he's learning how to fast walk. Um, and he's so brave, he's so daring. And when he falls down, it's my instinct is to want to rush in and go, are you okay? And freak out because the most precious thing in the world to me might have just skinned his knee. And instead, my wife and I both go, how do you feel? And he just gets up and goes, hey, po, hey, ba, 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 and he just goes on his way. And he's really, really strong. He's really, really brave. So I think that's something that Batman is learning how to do as well is trust. That's, that's to me, would probably be the, the biggest word that comes through in this is, is trust. And, and being a comic book nerd, I look at how we the source material that we're pulling from like I remember this this part of the epi- or this part of the movie is drawn from this issue um, when Damian Wayne first of all the whole Damian Wayne storyline is just mad, <laughs> messed up talk about being thrust upon you it's like here's your son we won't talk about how you have a son yeah. um, <laughs> but whatever um, oh I could say so many horrible uh, inappropriate things but I won't but to have that, I, like being able to look and go, oh my God, I remember this episode and Red Hood, holy crap. I actually, we were just talking about this with those, uh, with Mark and the two Mark people. I remember being able to walk up and, and buy issue 198, I think it was, for Batman when it's the Red Hood, where you get to vote whether or not you kill a Robin or not. Yeah, because in the next issue, all of a sudden Joker's like leader of the UN. It's the darkest storyline, and it goes to like the most ridiculous storyline I picked back up with Batman a few issues after that when it kind of went back to being a super dark storyline and Dick comes back and it's an it's an issue of Batman where he's almost not in it at all until the very end and Dick comes back and it's a whole conversation between Dick and Alfred about how far off the rails Bruce has gone because of Jason and how he didn't want this to happen again. It's uh, so good. You know that Troy is king of the long answers, but I had to get this question in for him. You've played Batman in almost every kind of Batman that you could play. Is it kind of relieving to play Batman in a lighter Lego movie like this? Let's talk about Batman because you've played pretty much every version of Batman that you could possibly play. So when you do a Lego movie like this, do you go... Ah, okay. We can, we can a little kinda, bit. Or, or is it a little bit different approach? No, it, it, it definitely feels like, look, this cowl and these boots are a little bit more worn in. Um, because I think this is our eighth or ninth one that we've done. Um, you count. I can't remember. It's, it's something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, you relax a little bit more, for sure. Um, because you know that it's incumbent upon people like Rick to... to bring you a fresh story um, and you know it's going to be good so I think the first time I was nervous about um, making it feel like it fit in with the rest of the you know the bad verse and then you realize you're like look this is a really really good character that has survived now 80 years 
no matter what I do, I'm not going to make it worse. I'm not going to make it worse. If Val Kilmer <laughs> and George Clooney <laughs> couldn't make this thing worse, uh, which that's uh, Robert Pattinson. Why not? Gary was the one that brought this up going, do you remember how up in arms everybody was over Michael Keaton? Yeah. Why not? It's a great character. It takes re all you can hope to do is move the needle a little bit and go, never knew that about Batman. Never considered that story about Batman. And not a single actor can do that. That takes a team of people with a great story, being put together, being animated well in this case, being cut together well, being scored, the music being scored perfectly, surrounding with a good cast. It takes a village to make a movie. And it's not a singular actor. So I don't think, I've learned that now over this is like, no matter how bad I may be in times, I think I'm doing a good job for this. And all I want to do is take a storyline or take a character that, this may be the first Batman movie, first introduction to Batman that somebody ever has. And if that's it, I just want them to go, well, what's the original? Because all of these are kind of like a cover, right? They're all pulling from these great storylines. So if I make a kid or an adult pick up a comic book and go, I kind of want to know what they were talking about. I want to know why everybody was laughing or ooing and aahing over this moment that was completely lost on me. Th then, I've, then I've done my job. Uh, if you like me as Batman or not, I don't care. I get to be Batman. I don't care what you do. <laughs> but if I can make somebody pick up a comic book, then I've done my job. Next up was Allison Stoner, who plays Batgirl in this movie in Batman, Lego Batman Family Matters. And the question for her was, you also voiced Batgirl in Young Justice. Do you try to voice the character differently in a movie like this? Well, there, yeah, so the tone the tone is different. Um, obviously, the, sort of the origin stories and how they're intricately interwoven have their own... Mm, essence about them um, but with 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 Lego the humor is far more sardonic you see other elements of Batgirl's personality come forward she has a side story um, throughout this film in particular that uh, is just sort of reoccurring uh, jokes and banter with someone that I can't mention I think um, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, it's it's been uh, interesting to work with the creators as well in the booth and ask which um, parts of my voice do you want to bring forward? And you know, there's always the boldness, there's the sense of being empowered, but there's a, a, a sassiness and a snarkiness to her in this version that I haven't been able to portray in others. So um, yeah, you just, you, you go with the flow and then you listen to the experts and you honor the legacy at all times. <laughs> Next question for Allison Stoner was, what kind of Batgirl will we see and what's her place within the Bat family? I would say that I have quite a biased opinion here. <laughs> um, let's see, in this particular film, hmm, I will answer that in an adjacent way. In this film, she actually encounters a side of herself that I haven't yet portrayed in any other project. There are many dimensions to all of us. You might remember we talked to Jason Spisak when he played Joker in Batman Hush, talking to him again because he plays Red Hood in this movie now. Someone asked him, even though we don't see the dark backstory of Jason Todd in this Lego movie, do you still bring that with you in the booth and as you prepare? Well, you kind of have to. I mean, I... I I argue that the Lego movies are are harder than playing the actual right. character representation because what you have to do is it's kind of like you have to paint this all this realistic painting of the character 
and then you have to take it and then you just paint watercolor over it, right? So I still have to be Jason Todd. I still have to have that sort of angst and everything, but it can't have the incredible depth and anger and seriousness and violence that it does in the comics. And, but since it's a Lego movie, you can replace that with humor. You can replace it with fun, you know, that he's like, you never let me play video games. Like, it just be angry, you know, like, and why is he upset at Batman? And it has, it resonates in a different way, but still in the, with the same, for the same reason. Next question for Jason Spisak was, why were you so excited to play the Red Hood? I've always wanted to play Jason Todd. I've always wanted to play the Red Hood, and I'd, I'd like to play him in like a serious, you know, movie, like I just played the Joker in Batman Hush, you know, I got to play the Lego Joker first, but I was like, I really want because I, I love Jason Todd's story and how it's just it's a sort of a grounded bitterness that we can all feel like just having just been dealt a crap hand and then you feel awful about it and then you spiral out because of that um, and so, so it wasn't really I just Lego movies if they are too light and too light all the time I mean you kind of miss the chance to invest in them and the Lego movie is a great chance to have like a whole family watch it and then if there's somebody in the family who's feeling bitter and somebody who's, you know, angst-ridden or whatever, they can see this kind of play out on a screen. And then at the end, when Batman and Jason kind of have a moment of reconciliation, they could possibly open that door in their own family. But if you just watch a piece of entertainment that just lets you escape, 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 then you don't have that opportunity. So I like the fact that they were, you know, had this angsty sort of serious character, and especially for the first half of this movie, he's angry, he's out for revenge, and that's like real deal stuff. Um, so I, I'm glad they got the chance to put that special sauce into this particular movie. I'm grateful for that. If you never thought that they could do a Red Hood story in Lego, yeah, they found a way to pull it off. So make sure you're watching Lego DC Batman's Family Matters. Find the links on our website, down to nerdypodcast.com. If you want to buy your copy, we'll make it a little bit easier for you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the cast and creative team at Warner Brothers Home Entertainment and DC for letting me be a part of the press room for Lego DC Batman Family Matters this year at Comic-Con. If you want more information on this week's show or past shows or articles that go up on our website, Go to that website, downandnerdypodcast.com. Also, always great to follow us on social media, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram, facebook.com slash downandnerdy as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.